Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my podcast series on the letters of the Bible. This is going to be a very different kind of lesson for those of you who are familiar with the New Testament letters because in this podcast series, we'll be taking a look at the history of the letters, how they were written, why they were written, and we'll discuss how to study them because of their unique style and purpose. This is a new subject for me as well. Remember, I'm a student of the Bible, not a know-it-all of the Bible. Much of the information I will be sharing with you, I received by listening to the Bible Project guys on thebibleproject.com. They did a wonderful series on the letters, both a video and a podcast series. There's also two books, one written by Randolph Richards called Paul and the First Century Letter Writing. And then the other book is Jerome Murphy O'Connor. He wrote Paul, the Letter Writer. Those are both good sources. Before we focus on the letters of the New Testament, I want to spend a few minutes reviewing the makeup of the Bible so that you can better understand where the letters fit in. The Bible for the Jews, the Hebrew Bible, it's not exactly the same as for the Christians. Yes, Protestants and Jews have the same Old Testament writings, but in the Protestant Bible, we number them a little differently and we arrange them a little differently. Protestants have 39 books in the Old Testament. The Jewish Tanakh, the Hebrew Bible, has 24 because of the different way that they have divided some of the books. Catholics, on the other hand, have seven extra books that they call the Apocrypha. So their Old Testament Bible has 46 books. The entire Protestant Bible includes the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 66 books, while the Catholic Bible, because of the seven extra books, has 73 altogether. The first five books of the Jewish Bible and the first five books of our Bible are exactly the same. They are often referred to as the law, the Torah, which means to teach, the books of Moses, or the Pentateuch, which means five scrolls. These five books are Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And they're all attributed to Moses. So, the Hebrew Bible starts the same as ours. Next, they have all of the prophets organized together. Now, I have a podcast series specifically on the prophets. Recall that prophets were ancient messengers. They received messages from God, and then they shared them with the people. They weren't fortune tellers. Finally, the Hebrew Bible ends with a collection that they refer to as the writings. And this is a miscellaneous group of writings, also included in our Bible, but in different order. 
And it's the history, it's the songs, the poetry, and what we call wisdom literature. So again, they all appear in our Old Testament, but just in a different order. The writings include psalms, which actually is the Greek word for song. And, uh, you know, the psalms are often referred to as the psalms of David. And that's because King David wrote the majority of them. Included in the writing section are Proverbs, Job, something called the Song of Songs, which if you've never read, it's actually a love poem, and it was written by King Solomon. Well, you know, he did have 700 wives and 300 concubines, so I don't know, did he know a thing or two about love? Apparently, if you read it. Then Ruth, Lamentations, Ecclesiastes, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and then the Hebrew Bible ends with Chronicles. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Chronicles are considered by the Jews to be their history books. So that's the way they end their Bible. Same books we have, just a different order. But I got to tell you that when you actually study the Tanakh, the, the Jewish order of the Old Testament, it, it actually makes a lot of sense to keep the prophets together and then the writings together and the history together. So the Old Testament was written by about 40 different authors. Now listen to this, spanning a period of about 1,500 years. They were written on large papyrus scrolls that would be rolled and unrolled in synagogue for teaching. Now the Jews don't have a New Testament. The New Testament was written by a lot fewer authors and over a much shorter period of time. We have 27 books in our New Testament, written by only eight different authors, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, Paul, James, and Jude. Now, remember, we don't know the author of Hebrews, so we might have a ninth author stuck in there. But these books were written over a span of 50 to maybe 150 years, much less than 1,500 years of the Old Testament. So. Why was the New Testament written? Remember, following Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, followers of Jesus banded together in what became called the church, which came from the Greek word kyriakon, which meant the Lord's house. So the church had a mission, and that was to spread the message about Jesus and salvation to the whole world. So as time passed, some members of the church started to write the message down. Now, if you've been able to watch the Christian miniseries called The Chosen, which I highly recommend, you'll see the character who plays Matthew. And frequently he's taking notes. I think this behavior was highly likely. How many of us, when something important happens, we write it down. We make note of it somewhere, right? Well, in this podcast series, we'll learn more about the letters that were written. And there were various reasons why Jesus's eight followers wrote things down. They wanted to make sure the information was correctly preserved. They wanted to instruct new believers. And 
They wanted to encourage believers to keep up their faith in spite of difficult circumstances. Now, our New Testament has four different kind of books. There's the Gospels, written by Matthew, who was an apostle. Mark, who was an early follower. Luke, a doctor and an early follower. And then John, who was an apostle. Then we have the book of Acts, which really gives us a cool look into the early church, and that was also written by Luke. Then we have what we're going to be discussing in this podcast series. That's the letters, and there's 21 of them. 13 written by Paul, 2 by Peter, 3 by John, 1 by Jesus' brother James, and 1 by Jesus' brother Jude. And then remember, Hebrews, that authorship is under debate. And then our Bible ends with what's called the book of Revelation. And, you know, that's actually a letter. Technically, it's written to seven different churches, but it's a prophetic, apocalyptic piece of literature. So most people don't lump it into letters to study it. So we won't. We'll study that separately. So all these New Testament books, they were originally written in Greek. Now, why Greek when they were written by first century Jews and Gentiles? Good question. Well, Greek was the language of what we call the intellect, the smart people. It was the written language. Since the time of Alexander the Great, Greek tradition, Hellenism, well, it permeated Israel and affected many parts of their culture, including how they wrote. So the New Testament writers wrote in Greek. I grew up Catholic. Many times the letters of the New Testament were read during the Mass, and they were often referred to as epistles. The word epistle actually comes from the Greek word epistle, and that word means letter or message. Epistles, letters, were really the primary form of written communication in the ancient world, especially during the time that the New Testament was written. Some might say in the Old Testament, Jeremiah and Nehemiah are also considered letters, but for this study, we're just going to focus on the 21 letters of the New Testament. Now, before we dive into how these letters were written, I want us to meditate for a moment on the fact that these 21 books, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 1st and 2nd Peter, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and Jude, were all letters. They were actual letters written to actual people. They were delivered by people and read aloud, sometimes by the person who delivered them. Okay, now while it is a federal offense today to read someone else's mail without permission, that is in effect what we're doing when we read these letters. So, by reading a letter, we're actually getting 
one side of what is a two-sided conversation. Many of Paul's letters, for example, were in response to a letter he had received. And sadly, we don't have any of those letters. Therefore, sometimes, studying Paul's letters, for example, they might appear a little confusing, a little harsh, a little incomplete, bearing in mind that all Scripture is God-breathed and there for a purpose. We must use careful, spirit-led discernment when we dive into these letters. That's why I wanted to spend so much time better understanding how they were written, why they were written, and how we should study them. As with any Bible passage, we need to understand the historical context, really to understand what the author intended. And we need to avoid using the letters as a bunch of poster-worthy one-liners, although there are some good ones. Scripture always must be used to interpret Scripture, and we need to apply careful study to the letters, since, again, we're only hearing one side of the conversation. So, when we look at the letters in the Bible, we're looking at text that is 2,000 years old. So, here's what's so cool. From this time period, about 300 B.C. to 100 A.D., scientists have found about 14,000 ancient letters written to all kinds of people for all kinds of reasons. Some of the letters that we found were famous and written by people like Cicero, who was a famous Roman statesman, and he lived around the same time as Paul. And what's crazy is there were a bunch of letters that were found in uh, what ended up being an ancient trash heap outside of an Egyptian city. Uh, they uncovered it when they were doing some excavation, and these letters were also about 2,000 years old. So, with all of this material, scientists and biblical scholars feel that they really have a pretty clear idea what letter writing was like 2,000 years ago. Finding so many letters, you might actually believe that letter writing wasn't a big deal, but it actually was a huge deal and very time-consuming and very costly. Our letter writers didn't have offices, desks, laptops, or even pen and paper. To write a letter took lots of time, lots of drafts, and lots of people. When I traveled to Israel, I was trying to take in so much, and I wanted to remember it all, so I took notes. I actually used the notes option on my phone, and in my own sort of cryptic shorthand, I was able to record notable events that then I could go back and decipher later. Well, in a way, that's what our ancient writers did. They used a wax tablet. Okay, I have a picture of one of these that has been uncovered on my website, studentofthebible.com. It was made of wood, think of a frame, and in the center of it is a layer of wax. So here's what's so cool. They would use this wax frame as a portable note-taking device. 
they would often write in shorthand. Yeah, there was a version of shorthand 2,000 years ago, and the tablet was reusable. When they were done, you could just rub the wax. And actually, it kind of reminds me of when I was a kid. We had these wax sheets, and you would have a sheet of plastic on top of it, and you'd use a plastic pen, and you could write little messages. And then when you would lift up the plastic sheet, and you're done, the message would be gone and you could start over again. So this wax board allows our writers to be able to take notes on the road, so to speak. So Paul, for example, busy guy, just like all our writers. When they're not traveling, they had to earn a living. Paul, for example, was a leather tent maker. So it seems unlikely that he had a lot of time to just sit around and write. So again, I think the way the Christian miniseries, The Chosen, demonstrates this idea of kind of writing on the fly is correct. They would take notes all the time and then collect these wax tablets when the time came to actually write to a church or to an individual or do whatever they were doing with these tablets. Now, the actual writing of the letter was not done by the author of the letter. Wait, what? <laughs> Now, a secretary would be hired to actually write the letter. Why? Well, it was extremely expensive to write on papyrus. So you needed to have a professional who had perfect penmanship and the ability to write really small because the materials were so expensive. How expensive? Well, the letter to the Romans, estimates are that it would cost about $5,000 in time and material. You need to pay for your secretary's time, the materials, and you've got multiple drafts before you get it right. Since these letters are expensive to put together, we sometimes see in Paul's letters what almost appears to be an afterthought. Remember, there's no erase button for example, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 says this, I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments, unquote. I really like how real and innocent this seems. I feel like we have this kind of intimate glimpse into Paul with this line. Look, he forgot his cloak and he forgot his scrolls. He's a busy guy. Paul wants his scrolls and his parchment because he would have reused his scrolls. What I mean by that is if he composed like a really good letter, he, like our other writers, would sometimes use parts of it in their other letters. Paul often would repeat words or themes and we'll talk more about Paul's writing style in our next podcast. So let's think about this hiring of a secretary to actually write your letter. What qualities would you look for in a secretary? Well, you would want someone who writes fast and precise because time is money. Most letters written in the ancient world were really short because of this. In fact, this is really interesting. Paul's letters are some of the longest letters we have found from the ancient world. 
As I said, between 300 BC and 100 AD, we found about 14,000 letters. So that gives us a really good sample size. And what they discovered is that 87 words was the average length of a letter. Cicero, his averages were about 295 words. Seneca, who was also a well-known Roman philosopher who lived during this period of time, same time as Paul, well, his letters were a little longer, 995 words per letter on average. Okay, get this. Paul's letters, on average, 2,495 words. And Romans, which was his longest letter, 7,400 words. As I said, modern estimates are that this letter would have cost $5,000 to produce. Really makes Romans take on a lot more importance, doesn't it? Letters were a costly investment. That's why a lot of the letters that we found were just one papyrus sheet. Okay, so papyrus. Well, it's a plant, and it grows in the floodplains of Egypt. So you get the papyrus that they use for the writing from the stalk. And you strip the stalk into strips, and then these strips are woven together. So you have all these strips kind of woven together, and then the sheet is dried, and you would have some flexibility in terms of the size of the sheet, because of course you could strip together other strips to make it longer. But again, this process takes time. So Composing a letter is a big job. The team would need the secretary to write it, and you have to pay the secretary for their time. Materials are very expensive. The secretary would come with the materials, the ink, the quill, or whatever they would use to write, and the parchment. The secretary would write the first draft based on the wax board notes, and then Presumably, you'd have a long session with the secretary to kind of assemble the draft. Then the secretary prepares the draft. The team reviews it. The secretary notes corrections. Maybe there's multiple drafts before it's written. So the process to write a letter could take days, weeks, or even longer. All right, how do we know that secretaries were hired to actually write the letters? Well, <laughs> from the letters. Uh, in Paul's letter to the Romans, for example, the secretary actually speaks up at the end. Romans chapter 16, verse 22, it says, I, Tertullius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. And then in one of Peter's letters, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 12 says, with the help of Silas, who I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly. Okay, now we have to be careful when we envision a secretary. And this was always a male, and he wouldn't just be sitting around taking dictation. He actually would have had many conversations with the author. Sometimes the secretary was a believer, like Peter just mentioned above with Silas, but this wasn't always necessary. They were being paid to convey the author's thoughts, not their own. But the secretary would be involved in the crafting and the forming of the letter. They were professionals. But when we see an author like Paul or 
Peter, we also need to know that they would have received other help. What do I mean? Well, for example, in Colossians, Paul mentions Timothy's help. In 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, Paul mentions Silas and Timothy helping to construct the letter. Take a look at your Bible, or write this down to look at it later, so you see what I mean. The very first line of 1st and 2nd Thessalonians says, Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, unquote. Okay, the fact that these names were mentioned right alongside Paul's meant that they assisted in the construction of a letter and were probably present during the meetings with the secretary. We'll talk about the ancient format that the letters were written in our next podcast, but for right now, just note that when others' names are mentioned at the beginning of the letter, it means they're sharing in the authorship. Now, these letters that were written were intended to be read out loud. Most people couldn't read. The person who was entrusted to deliver the letter often was the person who would read the letter out loud. Here's something to think about. Consider what care would be needed to deliver a letter that took so long to compose and was extremely expensive to write and filled with such valuable information. You wouldn't trust the delivery of this letter to just anyone. Many times, the carrier would have to walk great distances or travel by ship to get the letter to the desired destination. So Paul or any of our writers would have had to entrust their letter to what is referred to as a private party. Because only people who worked for the Roman government could use the Roman postal system. Yeah, (laughs) they actually had a Roman postal system. I'm not sure if it was any more efficient than ours today, but they did have one. So therefore, all the letters written by our Bible authors would have to be delivered privately since they weren't government employees. So it seems that most of the time the letter deliverer was someone that the author knew well. And presumably, they'd also get someone who was a good reader. People who carried and delivered letters were given a really important and actually prestigious job. So was it always a man who delivered the letters? No. Phoebe, for example, was a female and a very trusted friend of Paul's. She delivered the most expensive of all the letters. She delivered the letter to the Romans. How do we know this? Romans chapter 16, verses 1 through 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Sincrea. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me, unquote. How do we know the letters were read out loud? Ah, Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, unquote, again, the vast majority of the people in the Roman Empire couldn't read. 
Instead, they had to sit and listen to the letter being read to them. So think about that for a moment. These letters were written to be heard. Letter carriers were often the readers. The letters were intended to be read in their entirety from beginning to end in one sitting, which is quite a long time if you're reading Romans. But knowing that these letters were intended to be read out loud should cause you to rethink how you read these letters. Hearing something read out loud can often aid in our understanding. Okay, so let's reflect on what we've learned. First, these letters are letters. They're written correspondence. And we're a third party listening in on part of a conversation. So sometimes what's being said makes sense, but sometimes it doesn't until we start to uncover some historical context, which will help us. And we'll review those clues in future podcasts. Writing letters was a long, tiresome, and expensive venture, which makes the length of Paul's letters really all the more impressive. And it also makes sense that Jude, if you look at his letter, it's only 25 sentences. He was an incredibly frugal guy. We've also uncovered that Paul didn't write alone. He discussed his ideas with his trusted friends and probably constructed many drafts on his wax tablets before hiring the expensive secretary to do the actual writing. But please know that our theology doesn't hang on how these letters were written, but I think this information can be helpful to us in terms of our approach to reading and studying them. In my next podcast, we'll look at the form that the letters were written in and cover why sometimes they kind of appear to be informal and then other times kind of formal like a sermon. We'll also take a look at how to uncover clues as to the historical context of the letters to kind of help us understand what the heck is going on. As we study the letters or any part of the Bible, remember 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work, unquote. Rest in the assurance that the Holy Spirit was at work when Peter, Paul, James, and Jude were writing these letters as he was at work with the rest of the biblical authors of all the books of the Bible. Have a blessed day.